0: Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 287. Today is Sunday the 29th of July 2018, and this interview is with Dr. Tom Stubbs, who's the CEO and co-founder of Chronomics, a startup providing pioneering epigenetic testing. With a PhD in epigenetics specialized in aging, Tom and his team launched Chronomics late last year, and it's a service that looks at your epigenetics and provides an analysis that encourages action. Because you can evaluate the progress as opposed to a stable genetic testing. If you're interested in preventative health, Chronomics might just be the trick. And Tom has offered a salivating offer for listeners of this podcast. So please take a look. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I'm Minter Dial, your host. And you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome, Tom, to uh, Minter Dialogue. You are the co-founder and CEO of Chronomics. And so for anyone who has no idea of Chronomics, you can imagine from the name that there is something about genomics in it. But I'll let you, Tom, explain who you are and what you do.
1: Great. Thank you, Minter, for having me on the show. So my name is Dr. Tom Stubbs, my background, um, I did my undergraduate at Oxford University studying biochemistry, and then went on to do a PhD at Cambridge in epigenetics, specifically defining wet lab and computational tools for the study of epigenetics, uh, and then using that knowledge and insight to then alongside my co-founders found the company that is chronomics so what do we do at chronomics yes so we are a personalized epigenetic testing company so this means that for the first time from a simple saliva test using the power of epigenetics we can show you how your environment and lifestyle is affecting your health which combined with our online digital platform will enable you to track changes to your health over time.
0: All right. So Tom, let's um, just unpack one element now, which is this concept of epigenetics. So uh, for for my purposes, as, as you and I were talking about beforehand in, in Future Proof, I had a whole chapter dedicated to genomics. So, I can imagine easily people listening saying there's a little bit of a confusion or a mixture between genomics, genetics, and epigenetics. can Can you explain to us what the difference is between those three elements?
1: Between genomics, genetics, and epigenetics?
0: Yes, exactly.
1: So in the case of genomics and genetics, so I would think of genetics as the study of of your genes, uh, genetic variation and heredity. Uh, so more at a, a kind of bio- biology level, if you like, whereas genomics is sort of the, the, what I like to think of as the, the big data study of genetics. So taking large data sets derived from genomes and trying to understand and unpick their, their structure, their function, how they came about evolutionarily I'm trying to to
0: see whether it's possible to edit these genomes. So, if if before we get into epigenetics, if I say to you, Tom, what does my genome tell me versus what do my genetic codes, DNA tell me or RNA? Uh, how how are those different? So, I think I think those concepts are often
1: intermingled. But if if somebody was to say um, what does my genetics tell me or what does my genome say, um, I, would, I would to an extent assume that they were one in the same thing. You could think that perhaps if somebody was referring specifically to genetics, they could mean protein coding regions of the genome. So regions of the genome that are responsible uh, within genes for, for producing proteins that then function within cells. Whereas genomics could include everything else outside of protein coding uh, regions of the cell. So that's kind of the other 80% of the genome, if you like.
0: Yeah, genes that are less tagged with specific functionality, for example. Exactly, exactly. All right, what about then the difference between genetics and epigenetics? So
1: if you imagine in any one of your cells, you have You have trillions of cells, and inside any one of your cells, you have two meters of DNA. And that DNA has to be wrapped up and packaged so that different parts of that DNA can be expressed. So gene expression to make RNA, which then goes on to make protein. And this enables the cell to function in its specific function. So whether that's a a liver cell or a lung cell or whatever it might be doing, it needs to be able to control how that DNA or how your genome is, is expressed. And that control, in a broad sense, is epigenetics. But it's only epigenetics if that control is heritable. So if, when a cell divides, that control is maintained.
0: All right, well then, what is the role of a, of a context of that, and and how can that then be transferred into something that's hereditary? So in other words... I'm living in a a polluted city. I I might be um, drinking too much Coca-Cola, which has an impact on my health. It turns out that I become diabetic and asthmatic. And is that being coded and is that something transmittable? Because they do say that there is an element of genetic inheritance of things like diabetes.
1: Yeah, so I think in the case of epigenetics, there are different levels that you can take um, heritability to mean. So you could look at heritability as kind of all your cells in your body are constantly dividing, or at least most of them are. And every time they divide, you need that epigenetics to be inherited or else you'd have a liver cell becoming an embryonic stem cell again. Um, and then the other side of, I guess, heritability is heritability across generations, so transgenerational epigenetics. Uh, and there's there's a lot less evidence, I would say, for transgenerational epigenetics than there is for uh, epigenetics itself within an organism. At least at least in mammals, uh, there is, however, lots of evidence, <clears throat> for instance, in organisms such as C.
0: elegans, so worms, where you can see transgenerational inheritance. Okay, so when you talk about heritability in epigenetics, as far as chronomics is concerned, it's not necessarily about what I'm going to pass along to my progeny. It's going to be just an element of sharing within, throughout my genetics and within my own body.
1: Yeah, so in, in chronomics, we're looking at a specific epigenetic mark. Uh, and that mark is called DNA methylation. And essentially you have four letters in your DNA that make up all three billion bases, or letters, sorry. And they are A, C, G, and T. And those four letters code almost all forms of life. And in, in mammals such as us, when you have a C followed by a G in the genome, there is the possibility that that C can have a methyl group added to it. And so we look at, as chromics, we look at 5 million of these C followed by G positions, and we see, are they methylated or not? And whether this position is methylated or not is affected by environmental and lifestyle factors. And so we build specific
0: indicators, environmental and lifestyle factors, using that information. All right. So now let's look at chronomics a second. And I, I suspect that it's in the name to some degree, but uh, some of us will have heard, and I wrote about it surely, about 23andMe and uh, and karma genes as uh, existing consumer-facing ways of understanding my genetic coding to some degree, or at least my, my, my heritage sometimes. What does chronomics do that's different from those two, and and how much of that is in the name?
1: Yeah, so chronomics—the uh, name for chronomics comes from actually chronological omics. So chronological meaning, um, kind of with time, and omics meaning large biological data so genomics is genetics large biological data epigenomics is epigenetics large biological data metabolomics is metabolism large biological data Uh, and so yeah the name comes from looking at large biological data sets over time where it differs from companies like 23andme and karma genes is that these companies are looking at purely genetics Uh, Specifically, they look at a couple of hundred thousand positions in your genome and these positions are fixed from birth. So they're not changing with time on the whole. In the case of epigenetics, epigenetics is dynamic. So it changes over time. And so the way we differ is that we're, we're measuring not just genetics, but also epigenetics and how that plays out over time. So we're not telling you from birth, your risk to suffer from, as you said earlier, maybe diabetes or to have a high BMI. We're telling you currently, how how are you being affected by your environment and lifestyle? In the case of, um, I guess, one more subtler point is around the, the technology that's used. So in the case of 23andMe and Karma genes, these companies are using uh, what we call array-based technology. So this is kind of hybridization technology. So you take take your uh, genetics or genome, it's then chopped up into little bits, and then these are kind of stuck to little other pieces of DNA that then allow you as a scientist to work out whether you had that specific letter or another specific letter. In the case of the technology we use, so we use next generation sequencing technology, And in this technology, you actually read every single letter along the DNA. Um, And this may not sound like a big difference, but just in terms of, I guess, some of the press that came out recently, you can essentially send, let your dog spit in a tube and send it off uh, to an array-based company, and you would get back variant information. That wouldn't be possible with next-generation sequencing, because you'd be able to tell that it was dog DNA, not human DNA.
0: Wow and give us an idea of the different computational processing power needed to do one versus the other i mean are we are we in a magnitude of difference, or is that not where the difference between the sequencing and the array happens
1: in terms of um in terms of the
0: genetics, what is the difference or well between let's say twenty three and me's array type technology versus the sequencing technology that you use and the finesse that you have in order to be able to detect the difference between a dog DNA and a human being's DNA?
1: Yeah, so that that difference really comes out of of the differences in technology. So if you take, so we're um, predominantly epigenetic testing company. Uh, We also do whole genome sequencing. And in the whole genome sequencing case, we're generating vast amounts of data on all 3 billion letters in your genome. In the case of a company like 23andMe, they're looking at 600,000 positions and they're not getting readout directly of the letter. And so when we come to process that information and map it to the genome, so when we get back our, our little pieces of DNA that come from your genome, we map them to a ref, what's called a reference genome. So we say, okay, this piece of DNA came from that bit of the genome on chromosome one, that bit from chromosome 13. And what we can do is we can say, okay, do these bits look like they would map better to a reference human genome or to a reference dog genome or cat genome or or whatever other genome you you may have? In the case of um, array based companies, because you're only getting kind of one position, and and you're not even sure whether that letter uh what, what letter that is directly, it's very difficult to do that process. And so you can't be as sure about which species you're even looking
0: at. When you look at the results of the twenty-three and me, it's largely a probabilistic reading of your inheritance. You know, there's a, a chance you know the greater chance you come from here because possibly it's against the, the database which they're using to, to be able to identify who you are. Is that a similar type of process with you or how would it differ on that level? Yeah, so
1: anything, anything with genomics or genetics, it's always going to be um, to an extent probabilistic because mm-hmm. you're saying things from birth that are then going to affect somebody at some stage, maybe later in life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, for instance, um, if we take uh, cancer risk, you're not going to be able to tell somebody, or you can't tell somebody right now. Okay, other th- other than for very rare types of cancer, that you are going to specifically definitely get this type of cancer. But you can say, okay, because of your genetic background, you are at a higher risk or lower risk of suffering um, from this. Um, from this type of cancer, I think one thing that's kind of important to mention that's often the often kind of understated is that this um, these arrays that are actually built by Illumina um, they look very specifically at common variants in the population. So what I mean by that is that the genetics differences that are looked at on these arrays. Are found quite widely within the population, and so and so. What that means is that even if you do have an increased or or decreased risk for for certain things, on the whole, that increase or decrease can be quite mild in in magnitude. And and what's actually more important is understanding how your environment and lifestyle is affecting your health, because this plays a a huge role in whether you're going to get diseases, many diseases such as, as cancer or also, um, as you mentioned earlier, type 2 diabetes, for instance.
0: Yeah, all the stress that we live with. It's, I mean, just from a, a layman's perspective and, and certainly no medical side, no PhD on my end, it does seem to me more and more that people come down with maladies uh, because of their environment as well, at least. Anyway, you, you know, people who might go through a very stressful court uh where they 've been indicted or where they 've been charged with something it's it's quite feasible that such a person would come down with a cancer afterwards because their their the reaction has been internalized um want to go into let's say you know if I give you my saliva, what are the most obvious things that you can find with it in an epigenetic reading and, and let's say you know what are the typical types of readings that chronomics will I mean, is is there such a thing, by the way, for for you know going through my saliva and and uh, maybe what are the easiest things you're going to be able to tell me with my saliva?
1: Yeah. So in terms of, I guess, what we offer customers today, so we offer a range of indicators, uh, and we sort of split these into into different categories. Uh, so, for instance. Uh, one thing that I spent a lot of time during my PhD working on was um, biological age. So uh, can you not just tell from somebody's epigenetics how old they are, which obviously you could get from their date of birth, but actually how healthy they look for that age. Hmm. So do you have a kind of increased epigenetic age relative to your chronological age, which is associated with kind of, I guess, worse health outcomes? Or do you have a Better epigenetic age than your chronological age, which is often found in people that live to to uh, long, live long um, into their kind of hundreds even. Uh, in addition to so biological age is something we offer. In addition to that, we also look at uh, environmental exposures. So these are purely things that are sort of outside the body, uh, such as smoke exposure. So this is not just whether you are a smoker and it's affecting you but also whether you are suffering at the hands of secondhand smoke Uh, and what's what's really exciting about epigenetics as we've kind of mentioned before is that it's it's dynamic so it's not fixed so even if you had a high smoking signature from your epigenetics say for instance you quit smoking that signature would at least partially reverse so What's nice from my perspective is, I don't know, in the case of smoking, there's um, many times where people are being told to give up smoking, and quite often it's uh, it's with a stick, not with a carrot. Uh, and in the case of epigenetics, you can offer them insights into how they're improving their health by doing that, rather than just them getting all the kind of negative pressure to do it. Mm.
2: Uh,
1: so in addition to these environmental exposures, we also have um, some that look at kind of more internal, so looking at sort of metabolism or metabolic signatures. So one, for instance, would be body composition. Uh, so this is not just kind of how much you weigh, but actually at an epigenetic level, how your body perceives that weight. So whether, so for instance, if you if you take a, a BMI uh, measurement, and quite often you can have somebody that's incredibly fit uh, and somebody that's overweight and they all have the same BMI but at an at an epigenetic level it would appear different because what the perception of what that weight is and the metabolism associated with that from your body would be different in addition i guess aside from the the indicators that we offer to customers today we're also really excited to expand this range of indicators in the future so i think what's what's really exciting and important from our side is that lots of the epigenetic studies that have been done today have been done um, in looking at environmental exposures have been done in an almost kind of serendipitous fashion. So say there was a a factory where there was a chemical spill and that kind of got into the, the population that were living near that factory, unfortunately. That would then be source for an epigenetic study of how a chemical could affect somebody's epigenetics and how that could be passed on through generations. Um, Often, you know, those chemical spills are very rare events, thankfully. Uh, And there's a lot more kind of environment and lifestyle factors that happen to each and every one of us on a daily basis that just haven't been studied um, because of the the complexities in in obtaining the data. And so we're really excited as a company to be able to introduce uh, additional indicators for instance, looking at things like um, fatigue or, or other health, other mental health parameters, etc.,
0: as we move forwards. Mm. You're speaking about the uh, chemical spill or the plant spill reminds me of a friend who made a documentary film. Her father and she was a Canadian French woman and her father and mother divorced He moved uh, to the south of France in Narbonne, and she, her mother, moved to Toronto, and both of them died within very similar time of the same cancer, many years later. And uh, finally, she just, you know, was mystified, of course, apart from being distraught, uh, as to how they could have ended up with the same, so she thought that they must have done something together. A long time ago that would have brought it turns out that the the factor in common to both of them was that they had both lived and moved to a place that was in five miles of a nuclear plant in in, in one in toronto and one in narbonne in south of france crazy stuff um, and of course no one wanted to hear that so she made a documentary but no one wanted to distribute it because it would cause too much of a a fuss in our democratic society so uh, um, uh, I'll put a link to that in in the show notes. I can't remember the name right off the top, but it, it was it's a fascinating story. So let's, um, when we talk about epi, uh, I, of course, worked at L'Oréal for 16 years. We used to talk about the epiderm, and uh, you've been talking about aging, and we would both talk about wrinkles as far as signals of aging. Does epigenetics and wrinkles have a link? So... Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say that. So there's, I
1: guess, a number of uh, studies that have shown that um, there are epigenetic changes associated with um, skin, uh, different measurements of the properties of skin. Uh, and there's actually, there's another company, so Not Chronomics, that specifically looks at skin epigenetics um, from, from the perspective of then um, being able to sell cosmetics.
0: Hmm. Well I you know of course wrinkles are another sign of your aging is where I'm thinking about specifically, and uh, I was wondering there so um and, and and you know the impact, for example of cosmetics that go into your skin into your system and could potentially with their chemicals have a reaction with your epigenetics
1: yeah so I think I think that's definitely interesting uh, it's not something that has been has been. Sp- Studied, as far as I'm aware, um, but but yeah, I think
0: it would be it'd be very interesting to to look at. All right, let's talk a little bit about the business of chronomics because you are both uh, a PhD and studying. You know, you're at the the far end of this uh, scientific revolution we're going through. But from a business standpoint, because that's what we have to talk about here, is um, so how long has chronomics been around and and tell us about if what you can of your subscriber base. Yeah, so
1: Chronomics is a relatively young company, uh, sure. but growing fast. So it was founded in December 2017, um, although the, the research and development for the first indicators, some of which I mentioned earlier, um, has come from, from more than, more than a year or so pre that date. Uh, In the, I guess, early stages, Chronomics got funding, so in late December, got funding from the largest early stage biotech VC in the world. And this enabled us to kind of establish our pipelines, uh, build and launch our first product. And now since since March, we've generated just under, um, we've generated sales from just under 100 customers
0: nice all right tell us a little bit about the subscriber methodology at least you know how how much does it cost for the punter who'd like to sign up to chronomics
1: yeah so in in the uk the current cost of a test is 700 pounds there is a discount being offered as part of this podcast to those who listen and the The current approach to that is that it's a a yearly subscription, and this yearly subscription can also be paid in monthly installments uh, for some of our customers who find that uh, easier
0: than than one-off payments. Great. Well, so tell us what the discount is. I'll put them in the show notes, of course.
1: Yeah, so we are offering £200 off to to anyone that... uh, has listened to the, the podcast and is interested in following on from that to the website to buy and I will send over a
0: special discount for for the show brilliant love that thank you for that uh, tom so um of course that that's a whole lot more expensive than the 23 and me so give us a little bit of an understanding of the value that that 700 pounds or 500 for those who listen to this uh get for for it versus the 23 Me reading
1: yes yes yeah. so i think there's a there's a number of key differences i think the the most important from my perspective and from from the customers that we have as well which is obviously most important is that we are providing actionable insights so these are uh, on the whole, things that that customers can actually do to then to then improve, improve their health and reduce their chances of suffering from from chronic illnesses later on in life. And so they really see the value in being able to kind of monitor and track epigenetic changes to their health, uh, which is something that in a genetics case is not is not feasible. That's... There are, of course, some instances. So you have... Um, I guess the, the famous case of kind of the BRCA1, BRCA2 uh, mutation that's kind of been approved by the FDA and ways uh, ways in which uh, customers who find out about that information can then take sort of drastic action to ensure that they don't suffer from, for instance, breast cancer.
0: Mm. That is, I can see, very valuable. in In the... Uh, subscribers you have do you have any idea of the ones who are most interested in your I mean you know obviously these are sort of the precursors the beginning to take it up are, are there any signs as the type of people that are most interested I mean without revealing who they are <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah um, so I'd say in terms of demographics, it's pretty pretty diverse so we have men women of of all ages and from from six different countries now. Uh, but I'd say the key key theme that unites them all is is this kind of revolution that's happening in healthcare at the moment, which is that we shouldn't just be receiving our healthcare in a generalist and reactive manner. It should be preventative, proactive and personalised. And and these people who are our initial customers really are excited by and, and buy into that that future.
0: So, so someone more of an Eastern philosophy i was on I had on my show recently Helene Guillaume, who is CEO and founder of a company that 's doing very much preventative stuff in the area of sports uh, and high athleticism her company 's called wild, and I totally subscribe to that it sounds it sounds really interesting um, when you are building your business um, what are the challenges that you see in, in going ahead? I mean, congratulations on the funding, by the way. And I wonder what was it that made you get the funding so quickly? Because, I mean, in the end of the day, usually this is a horribly long, drawn-out process. Uh, what was the argument that made that win over? And what are the challenges that you are seeing going forward in terms of building your business?
1: Yeah, so in terms of uh, in terms of our current VC backer, uh, I think what what really won them over was the the expertise in the team uh, and and their belief, I guess, from having seen what's out there in the market um, and what's what's coming in terms of the kind of large um, shifts in the in the direction of of healthcare. Um, in thinking that that this is a, a really exciting area to be in uh, in measuring in measuring how environment and lifestyle is affecting you at the level of how your DNA is controlled. So, so I think that was their, their real kind of buzz, I guess, for getting, getting involved. have to say though, <laughs> uh, raising, raising money from, from VCs is as, as you just mentioned, not,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: not the most enjoyable, uh, pastime.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, uh, but it's, but yes, yeah, it's, it's incredibly important. Sure. Uh, in terms of Challenges. So, like any business starting out, there have been there have been some some challenges, but but none that we haven't so far been able to overcome. And I think this is this is predominantly down to, I guess, to an extent, to to luck with the the fantastic team um, that Chronomics has that brings together very diverse backgrounds. So we have people in the team who have kind of a pure sales and marketing background to people who've worked in Full stack development, software engineering backgrounds for more than ten years to to data scientists, to computational epigeneticists, to um, biotechnologists, and process automation types of people, and and that's really enabled us to, as a team, overcome any challenge that's that's been thrown at us. Mm. If I had to say to date, what is the biggest challenge that's been thrown at us? Um, I would say it was probably back in January um, when we had to just really focus on, if you like, shifting gears from, from thinking about chronomics uh, and epigenetic testing purely as a, so shift it from purely thinking of it as a exciting scientific idea, mm-hmm. And to, and to switch that into thinking about it as, as an incredible business opportunity. So mm. predominantly on the founding team, we are a bunch of scientists that want to bring people together to improve and learn about their health, to be able to compare their results to other people with, for instance, their age or location, et cetera. But we're also really excited in using this data to inform future research moving forwards. As I mentioned previously, with wanting to introduce additional indicators, but also we're we're a big believer as a founding team in wanting wanting our customers to transparently be able to interact and share their data for the benefit of themselves, but also for society.
0: And therefore, surely there must be a an interest by the likes of NHS if we can improve in advance our declines or issues in health then we can avoid those silly cues in our local nhs medical center and uh, and and go on with a more healthy lifestyle yeah exactly i mean this
1: is yeah exactly right and this is i think the the paradigm in the nhs is shifting so been to kind of couple of recent conferences and events where where it seems like uh, the NHS is really is really keen to bring on new technologies that can provide earlier diagnoses or or proactive uh, diagnostics that then they can use to to inform decisions before as you say it gets to the point of waiting in hospital beds when you're already ill. But I think I think this change is is going to take a while and as with any kind of large um company or institution it it takes longer to to make make that jump to to taking something new up but it's it's something definitely that we're we're actively pursuing at the moment
0: well that's brilliant so tom uh, thanks for coming on the show tell us uh, we'll, we'll put all the information about the discount and all that in the in the show notes but tell us how someone can get in touch find out more about chronomics and even maybe get in touch with you yeah, sure.
1: So if you want to get in touch with myself uh, or any of the, the team members at Chronomics, um, you can email us at infochronomics.co.uk. At We're also um, active on social media. You can find us on Twitter, where we share quite a lot of articles and blogs that we write. Uh, and the handle is at Chronometry. And we're also on kind of Instagram, Facebook, Medium and LinkedIn with the handle at Chronomics. And our website is www.chronomics.co.uk
0: Fabulous. Well, I have enjoyed the the listen, uh, Tom, and as ever for me it's 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 always a pleasure to, to understand better. This field because I do believe, as I, I said to you before, it's a a necessary and um fantastically interesting field to be in. So good luck with everything at Chronomics and certainly I'll be looking forward to staying in touch and following what you do. Great. Thank you very much, Minter. Absolute pleasure to be on the show. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on Minterdial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please like the handy Facebook button, or better yet, head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. But first, relax to Josh Sax's Finger Paint.
2: Oh, fill me with all your colors, any different way to rid me of the gray.